Thanks so much for spending a few moments with us here at CatholicPhilly.com. We are the digital media channel of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, bringing you news of the Catholic faith as it's lived out here and thanks to our partner, Catholic News Service, across the nation and the world. I'm your host, Gina Christian. Our editor, Matt Gambino, is on assignment, but he joins us in spirit. Well, in recent years, there's been a sharp increase among teens and young adults wondering if they're trapped in the wrong bodies. From social media to schools and throughout our culture, the transgender phenomenon has sparked intense debate that ultimately raises questions as to how we understand human nature. Catholic teaching has a lot to say on the subject, and to help us unpack that, we caught up with Mary Rice Hassan, an attorney and policy expert who is co-founder of the Person and Identity Project and the Kate O'Byrne Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., Mary and several other speakers will share their insights at a March 12th conference entitled Clarity in a Confused World. That day-long event will be hosted by St. Peter Parish in West Brandywine, but ahead of the conference, Mary gave us a preview of her talk. Let's take a listen. Mary, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk with you. Now, you'll be speaking at an upcoming conference in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia on the topic of transgenderism, and we'll have full details about that, certainly on our website at catholicphilly.com. But before we dive into that particular topic, I was wondering if maybe you could first clarify some of the many terms about sexuality, gender, and so forth that are swirling in everyday conversation now. So, How would the Catholic Church look at the terms sexuality and gender? So the Church is um, very cognizant of the problem of language, and I encourage people, if they want clarity, there are lots of official sources you can go to. The Catechism, in fact, talks about our, quote, sexual identity. In other words, rooting us back when we're talking about our, our bodies and our identities to the reality that we have received gift from our Creator, we're created male or female. And so our sexual identity is that very foundational aspect of who we are, unity of body and soul, we're either male or female. Now, the term gender is one that the church does not use in the catechism. It has appeared in the Congregation for Catholic Education document on that addressed gender ideology. It's called Male and Female. He created them. And The church in that document and in some of its international work makes the point that gender would be understood as the social roles that are attached to our sex, male or female. And the church specifically in that document, the Congregation for Catholic Education document, says that you cannot, you can distinguish the social roles that are typically attributed or expectations that come from being a man or a woman in a particular culture, you can distinguish that from the sexed body or sexual identity, but you can't separate them. And more precisely, I I think in our culture, because the word gender has been given a different meaning, unlike the church's meaning, the term gender has been completely uh, severed from the idea of being connected to the reality of being male or female. So gender is now considered to be an identity that you self-define according to your inner perception. And it could be man, woman, boy, girl, both, neither. That's how the American um, Psychological Association defines it. And so as Catholics, 
it's really helpful to understand what we're referring to. And if we're talking about male, female, or sexual difference, to use the word sex or sexual identity. And then to understand that when the church has used the term gender, it's talking about the cultural interpretation of how you live out your sexed identity within a particular culture. So it can, the manifestations of that can change. But again, in our culture, in this day and age, because of gender ideology, which imports a different meaning, we don't want to use the term gender when what we really are talking about is the difference between males and females or the reality of our sexed bodies or our identity as male or female. So that's a long answer, but that's the, uh, those are some key points that people need to understand about those terms. And it's a fundamentally different way of looking at what is a human being. It's a different anthropology, it seems. Yes, exactly. And and that's one reason why um, in the work that I do, speaking with parents and, and educators, uh, clergy, people in the diocesan ministries and things like that, one of the things that we highlight right from the beginning is the fact that Christian anthropology the vision of the human person is very clear through scripture, through tradition. It, it tells us who we are. Gender ideology offers a completely different vision of the person, starting with the basics. We know we're created, right? We have a relationship from the first moment of our existence. We have a relationship with our creator. We're relational people. And he created us male or female. Whereas in gender ideology, the foundational point of that uh, understanding of who you are is that you are self-defined. You get to decide as an individual who you are, regardless of your sexed body. And and you're sort of a solo actor. You get to decide on your own. You're not designed to be in relationship. You can choose to be in relationship or not. So it's it's a very different vision of the person. And, and that's one reason why uh, we're seeing these cultural conflicts coming about from what used to be generally understood throughout society. The Christian vision of the person was not just held by Christians. It's rooted in the natural law, the truth of the body. You know, so it was widely accepted. And the fact that we're seeing this alternative understanding or theory or ideology really um, presenting a different vision of the person, to the extent we're seeing that permeate the culture, it is creating a lot of direct conflicts and contradictions that our individual um, Catholics have to navigate, and it can be very tricky. And we're in the midst, as you said, of the same words being used for different realities, and that's almost watching people not have another a babble almost, you know, when we can't understand right. each other because, you know, the concepts we're trying to express with the same words are diverging now. Well, with all that said, and I appreciate that clarification, how would you define or how would the church define transgenderism? What are we talking about here? So when we're talking about the idea of someone expressing a transgender identity, uh, we're talking about a person who's who has a healthy body, they're male or female, and yet interiorly, their feelings or their self-perception doesn't align well with the truth of their body. So a, a colloquial way to understand it is uh, a person who sort of doesn't feel comfortable in their own skin. And in the past, 
psychology and common sense would say, okay, let's work with those feelings. Let's try to understand why you don't like your body or why the prospect, for example, of a young girl, um, the, the prospect of growing to be a an adult woman is so unappealing that that you want to reject it. Let's understand what's going on beneath it. And yet today, instead, because this ideology has come forward and said, no, a person decides who they are and that what's important is mind or will. Your body's a tool, a thing that you can use. So you decide who you are. And you express that identity, that if it's a transgender identity, that means you are expressing an identity that's at odds with the reality of your sexed body. And more than that, because your sense of who you are, it needs to be affirmed by others or it doesn't feel real because there's this this conflict between feeling and body. There's... A, uh, a cultural movement to try to force other people to affirm this expressed transgender identity by using pronouns, names, treating the person as if they were the opposite sex and, and things like that. So that concept of someone expressing a transgender identity is important to understand. And, and the reason why I say it that way, expressing a transgender identity, is that we, we have to be real clear. There is no sort of third category of people who are, quote, transgender. There are males and females. And all of us are broken in some ways or, or experiencing difficulties. And for some people that, you know, their, their personal struggle in life might be that they're experiencing uh, negative feelings about their body or they don't, quote, feel comfortable in their own skin. But that doesn't make them a different kind of person. They're still male or female, created lovingly by God with inherent dignity, uh, called to eternity with him. And like all the rest of us, called to to work out um how we live in accord with his will in sometimes messy situations, you know, sometimes things are difficult. So, uh, so that's the, the meaning, the understanding is that a person's feelings diverge from the reality of their sexed body, either male or female, but transgender is an expressed identity. It's not, it's not the reality of who someone is. Well, now let's put this in some historical context because I well recall 20, 30, even 40 years ago, this really didn't have quite the cultural crescendo it has now. What's changed? Well, interestingly enough, um, gender was, as a word applied to people, was really conceived of in the late 50s and, and early 60s by a sexologist who who um, became convinced through his own work that a person's social identity didn't need to have any relationship to the actual sexed body. That was Dr. John Money and later on another another psychologist named Robert Stoller. So they proposed this idea of gender and gender identity as being something disconnected from sex. And the early radical feminists, the Marxist feminists in the 70s kind of ran with that because they believed and they didn't like sex stereotypes, which is a legitimate criticism, but they said, uh, they liked the idea of conceptualizing gender as 
uh, an identity apart from your sex because, as they said, biology is not destiny. So, so this idea of gender kind of went into academia and then was um, modified by what came to be known as queer theory. And, and so it's been percolating in academia really for several decades. And then with the sexual revolution in, in the mid-1990s, actually, there was a group of males who identified as transgender who wrote an international bill of gender rights, which is very similar to what we see at the United Nations right now, where they, they say the right of the person uh, uh, sort of an autonomy right is to self-define an identity and they get to modify their body and live out and express their sexuality in any way they want and others need to affirm that and go along with that and there should be rights attached to that so that was that was a manifesto so to speak that was put out in the mid-1990s but but really wasn't culturally accepted and 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 um wasn't pushed through society until more recently. So the LGBT community after same-sex marriage was approved by the Supreme Court turned their attention in a radical way towards promoting uh, the idea of transgender identities and, and uh, rights accruing to that, specifically the right to uh, seeing gender identity as, quote, a human right that there should be legal privileges attached to that. And and under the Obama administration, that was just really pushed through Health and Human Services, through the Department of Education, uh, and, and through other regulatory avenues. And, you know, culturally, certainly we've seen that embraced in Hollywood and the media and, and kind of across the board. But as well through corporations. I think that's one of the differences we're seeing now is that corporate America is very progressive and has has aligned itself with these radical movements, including the transgender movement. So, uh, and the same thing with the teachers unions and the, the um, other professional teachers associations, National um, Association of School Counselors, the secondary school principals, you know, all of those associations have aligned themselves with gender ideology and with promoting the idea that every person from the youngest age needs to explore and, and decide and define for themselves their own, quote, gender identity, and then to have the freedom to express that as they choose and to modify the body and you know, go down the road of, quote, a gender transition, however they choose to do it. And uh, and that's a radical concept that most people uh, really didn't expect to see coming forward in such a big way. But it's here. It's here. Now, we know a lot of teens aren't sitting at home reading Coca-Cola's annual reports and their commitment to, you know, these, these uh, movements. Tell me how teens today are kind of finding out about this or how they're kind of engaging with this this movement? Well, good question. And I think it raises an important point that the way adults see this phenomena and sort of the landscape, the cultural landscape, is very different from the cultural landscape that our kids are perceiving. And so we see it through the corporations. We see it in entertainment and et cetera. But we're fully formed people. We know who we are. We're not engaged in that that uh, adolescent search for identity and meaning and, and all of that. And so you take 
younger people who are at a very vulnerable point in their development and you saturate their world with these messages that the body really doesn't mean anything. Their identity is how they feel. They get to define it. They get to express it. They get to modify their body however they want. And that's coming at them uh, it, like a tsunami hitting the shore. It's coming at them through social media. Uh, in fact, there was a, a report I saw in in uh, the Daily Mail that was saying that transgender content on TikTok has been viewed 26 billion times. That's not people my age who are looking at that. That's young people. That's teenagers, middle schoolers, young adults who are, are just immersed in this world that where the idea of of being transgender or identifying as non-binary is promoted as not just perfectly normal, but desirable. So it comes through social media. It's coming very much through the schools, you know, all the public schools in, in the country as an ideological matter, partly because it's coming down through the Department of Education, are really embracing this and pushing acceptance and promotion even of the idea of being transgender or non-binary and expressing it and everyone else needing to use the pronouns, etc. So it's in their school world, it's in their social media world. And the other place that I like to highlight for parents, because they may not be aware of this, is that uh, they're, they're probably getting it through the pediatrician's office or their counselor, their guidance counselor, their uh, therapist, if they are receiving psychological support in any way, because those professions too, not, not all of the practitioners, but the establishment organizations have definitely sided with, with the uh, progressive ideology of promoting uh, the idea that your body doesn't matter. <laughs> you get to define it. And and so kids are getting this from all sides, from authority figures, from peers, from celebrities. It's just they're immersed in it. And, and so I think it's important for parents especially to realize, without a doubt, gender ideology is affecting your child. Doesn't mean they're going to suddenly declare that they are transgender, but it is affecting them. It's impossible to be a young person today and not be affected by it. And that's why the church and parents need to be proactive about raising these issues, talking to kids, reaffirming the truth, the truth about who they are, they're made male or female, nothing can change that. And that's a good thing. So the quest for every person is to discover how to live that out. What are your, what's your personality, your interests, et cetera. But if we're silent, if the church is silent, if parents are silent, that silence is filled by the cultural noise and the messages coming through the culture, which are not going to be telling our kids the truth about who they are. It's going to send them on a path, you know, seeking a mirage and imagined future that just can't deliver. And, you know, it's a promise that can't deliver. And it's interesting, too, as you said, with the medical profession endorsing uh, the transgender ideology. We know from other studies that the adolescent brain does not mature as quickly as we think that, in fact, uh, I know in speaking with some social services professionals who work with uh, adjudicated youth, they said, you know, the adolescent brain has been found to mature well into the 20s. Correct. Uh, tell me, what are the risks of while young people's brains are still so plastic and being formed, having this transgender 
phenomenon introduced into their world. Tell me a little bit about what the long-term consequences can be from you know promoting this or allowing children to embrace it. Sure. Well, I'll give you one very concrete stat that shows the impact that of proposing something to kids as something that they sort of get to choose apart from the reality of, of who they are. It, we look at the stats um, on who identifies as transgender. And since they've been keeping those stats this, you know, the past 50, 60 years, the percentage of people who identified as transgender was usually um, adult males or very young children, and it was 0.002% of the population. In the past decade, we have seen an explosion of a new category of people expressing a transgender identity, and it's adolescents and young adults. And now we see in that age group up to 10 there was a study coming out of uh, Pittsburgh in, in 2021, surveyed high school students. Nearly 10% of high school students expressed a transgender or, quote, gender diverse. That means gender queer, non-binary, or any of those permutations. Almost 10% expressed an identity as transgender. So you look at that radical change from 0.002 to nearly 10% in in about the span of a decade, that's not a natural phenomenon. You don't, even if you were to presume that, that there was some percentage of people that kind of went under the radar that we didn't know, you know, had these feelings, this disconnect. This is just such an exponential increase that we can see it's being driven by something else. And that's where uh, researchers are, are pointing out and cautioning that there's a social contagion going on. And so when you get people in authority, and in particular, medical professionals, affirming this idea that all a child has to do is say, "I'm," if they're a male, let's say, I am a girl, that the adults should affirm that and go with that is, frankly, it's just nuts, but it's it's harmful too because kids need adults to uh, you know to help them make sense of their feelings, not to ratify and validate feelings as if they are reality. You know, a kid who says I'm worthless, we don't say. All right, let's go with that. <laughs> we we try to help them understand and really see the truth about who they are and value who they are. But here in this case, you have let's say a male child or a, a yeah, let's say a male child for example who says I'm a girl. The adults, the physicians, the counselors instead of saying, "Well, let's talk about why you feel like that." Let's let's redirect you and help you understand and see the beauty of who you are, the value of who you are. Instead, they're just affirming it. They're not making sense, helping the child make sense of the world. They're ratifying their the child's feelings as if that determines reality. And it's it's actually a cruel thing to do because here's here's the truth, Gina. You know, you cannot change sex. There is something like three trillion cells in the human body. And all of those cells are marked with your sex. Your DNA is in your cells. It's at the cellular level. So you're you're either male or female. You can't change it. So when a child has feelings at odds with that reality, 
to sort of hold out the idea that by taking hormones or, or dressing differently or uh, uh, undergoing a surgical procedure to remove your breasts or, or remove your genitals, that you're going to somehow be transformed into the opposite sex is just, it's not true. And so it's really a, um, it's a cruel thing to, to hold that out to a young mind that, that doesn't appreciate the ramifications of this path they're embarking on. And, and to hold that out as if it's, it's something that can come to fruition. And it just can't. It just harms healthy bodies and it, it takes kids whose emotions or psychologies might be wounded or confused and it doesn't help them. It doesn't alleviate those problems. It just sends them you know, down a path that just can't lead to the happiness and, and the sense of meaning that they desire. And many of our children, as the Surgeon General recently noted, are in the grips of a mental health crisis. Any thoughts on how this plays into that, relates to that? It seems like our children are very much in crisis with suicides being up. And as you said, especially young girls, they seem to be particularly affected by this. And it's not all down to COVID restrictions either. It seems like this had preceded that and that COVID accelerated some existing trends there. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, you're exactly right. And so those stats are are really um, shocking in terms of the difference between males and females. So adolescent females are disproportionately affected by, in a negative way, by social media. And and so that's one factor that really does seem to be having an influence. And not just because of COVID, but COVID exacerbated it. When kids are living their life online and they're, they're basing their sense of self-worth or um, uh, even self-understanding on virtual relationships where they measure their worth in terms of likes or follows or the reaction they get from other people. And they're cur- trying to curate this carefully um, perfected view of themselves. It, it's an impossible burden. Nobody can live up to that. And so that is depressing. But girls, adolescent girls are are just statistically more prone to depression than adolescent boys. But you throw in all these other factors. You also have a situation where we're living in a, a pornified culture where girls are encouraged to um, see themselves as sexual objects and and there's pressure not just online but in in actual personal relationships to be just sexually um, acting out in a way that we know also is connected to depression so you have the long and the short of it is our our girls in particular are really not in a good place in terms of mental health and, and psychology and then you throw on that you have a, a hurting kid and then online and from these experts they get the idea that you know what maybe the source of my pain the source of my unhappiness is that I'm really someone else I'm really transgender. And so they start to pursue that. It looks very much like a solution, um, but it, it's it's just not true. But So we're seeing this phenomenon, much like we saw uh, the numbers of young girls who were experiencing anorexia or bulimia. Those were other things that were affected 
by a social contagion. In other words, you have girls who are struggling with puberty, struggling with coming of age, struggling with peer relationships, struggling with the culture, and 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 they want out. They want their pain to be relieved, and and so they hear these solutions or their friends propose something to them and and it seems like a very attractive way out for many of them so it's important that parents take mental health seriously but not not um believe the media narrative that if you don't immediately affirm a child who's expressing identity confusion or a trans quote transgender identity that if you don't affirm them, they're going to commit suicide. It, that is is just not true. What is true that most young people who are expressing a transgender and non-binary identity have high rates of mental health issues already. They're already depressed. They're already anxious. Many of them have experienced uh, some sort of abuse, whether it's bullying or sexual abuse, emotional abuse of some sort. They may, uh, there's a high rate of kids who have experienced what are called adverse childhood events. It could be someone they love dying. It could be some disruption in their attachment relationships. It, it could be a serious illness of themselves or a family member. All these things make a child vulnerable to depression. But unfortunately, in today's day and age, it makes them vulnerable to going down this transgender path. And there's there are two other categories I would highlight who have particular vulnerabilities, and that's uh, kids who are on the autism spectrum. The according to the studies, and it depends on the study, but between four and six times higher rates of kids who. Um, or on the autism spectrum are identifying as transgender. And the same thing with kids who are adopted. There seems to be um, up to a twice as uh, a twice as greater likelihood of them identifying as transgender. So there are kids who are already struggling with a sense of not fitting in or trying to figure out who they are for other reasons. And then this... Um, messaging comes at them that says, here, <laughs> try this, explore this. This is really the answer. And it's very appealing to a young person who's hurting and trying to find their way. So parents need to um, to raise these issues with their kids, to be confident in asserting the truth. We know who they are. They're male or female as created by God. If they're in pain, there's a better way. There's a pathway forward to help them work through these issues. And and uh, going down the transgender path only damages their body. And it will not lead to that, that emotional fulfillment and that psychological peace that they really desire. Mary Rice Hassan, excellent overview of the transgender phenomenon and the way that the church and its teaching and its wisdom would approach it and offer, as you said, a better way uh, for them to view themselves as, as children created by God, male and female. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. We look forward to the conference and I'll be there covering it. So I hope to see you there. Great. 
And we were speaking there with Mary Rice Hassan, co-founder of the Person and Identity Project and a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Details about that March 12th conference at which Mary will be speaking can be found on our website. Once again, you've been listening to CatholicPhilly.com from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Thanks so much to our publisher, Archbishop Nelson Perez, and to our editor, Matt Gambino, to you, our listeners, and of course, to our Lord, without whom none of this would be possible. You can find us online at CatholicPhilly.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Catholic Philly. I'm your host, Gina Christian, and until next time, may God bless and keep you.